For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I am going to be joined by Zach Duncan, and we're going to explore how to get started with Google Analytics 4. And here's the truth. Universal Analytics is gone. Google Analytics 4 is here and it's the future and it's time to embrace it. And I think you're going to love today's episode because we're going to demystify all the scary sides of GA4. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over this week's interview with Zach Duncan. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Zach Duncan. If you don't know who Zach is, he is a Google Analytics 4 strategist. He's also president of Root and Branch Group, a consultancy that helps businesses use analytics to be more profitable. His blog and YouTube channel is focused on analytics and SEO tips. Zach, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Mike, it is so good to be here. It is so good to be here. Thank you. You know, this is a real like circle of life moment for me because it was a couple of years ago when I was first trying to wrap my head around Google Analytics 4, looking everywhere I could to learn. And it was your podcast. You had a guest on who was talking about GA4. And that was one of the things that kind of kickstarted me to start learning and learning GA4, making videos, writing blog posts. And now to be here talking with you is awesome. So thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. I am super stoked that you're here because the world needs to hear what we're going to be talking about. Folks, today, Zach and I are going to explore how to get started with Google Analytics 4. And the truth of the matter is, as we'll explain a little bit later, we're stuck with Google Analytics 4. So before we go there, Zach, before we get into all the good stuff, I want to hear your story. Like, how'd you get into analytics? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah, awesome. So my path to digital analytics started 12 years ago. At that point, that was Universal Analytics days. We all know that, but I hadn't heard of Universal Analytics. I hadn't heard of Google Analytics at all. Uh, I was, though, realizing that I was a pretty analytical person. And by that, I mean, I just, I asked a lot of questions. I always wanted to know why something happened, just really curious. And I had come to see that data can really be a powerful tool for helping to answer those questions. So I used data in both my day job at the time and also my night job. During the day, I worked in a marketing planning role for a sporting goods retailer. It was a really cool job. So we were responsible for making channel level decisions about marketing spend. So what to spend in digital media versus broadcast TV versus direct mail, other print. And yeah, it was really cool. And also category level decisions. So, you know, football versus soccer versus baseball and so on. And because sporting goods is super seasonal, all these different businesses had different sales peaks and valleys throughout the year. 
and it's super regional as well. So Mike, what's happening out by you in Southern California, really different than what's happening out by me where I am now in North Carolina. So all of these different data points stacked on top of one another to build a plan that could actually work and be relevant for the individual markets where the company went to market. And when you did it right, you could like lift the business drive incremental sales. And it was all about understanding that data, which is really cool. And that was my day job. My night job was also highly data dependent. And that was when I would play online poker for hours a night, hours a night. And that started after my wife fell asleep. I would fire up the laptop and just be playing four tables of Texas Hold'em. And I had this poker tracking software that would log every single hand that I played. And it would tell me what my profitability was with every, every hand and all of the trends on people I was playing against. So as this poker software would continue to run, it would just get smarter and smarter. I'd have better and better data, could make better and better decisions. And I was just seeing myself, man, I'm making a good amount of money. This is like a job. Like I know that I'm gonna make money when I sit down to play because over the long run, if you make decisions based on that data, you're gonna make money. And that was kind of my life then. I was like, data is cool. I make good decisions. I feel like I'm a very competent person and pretty much in control of my life. And I loved everything about that data-centered part of uh, who I was. And then right around, well, it was March of 2011, so a little more than 12 years ago, things started changing for me. And I was, uh, I was in the shower of all places where I do a lot of my best thinking. Hey, it happens to all of us. That's where the best ideas come from, right? Right? Yes. Yeah. And I had this, this crazy thought that came into my head. And it was like, hey, why don't you give up poker for Lent? And I was like, well, that's a, that's a crazy idea for a couple of reasons. One, I've never done Lent before in my life. Wasn't part of my faith tradition growing up. So weird to think about that. And two, if I did, poker would be the last thing that I would give up. So no, that's, that's a hard pass. But like, I couldn't shake this idea. And when in my mind, I was like, all right, what if I give up like beer or something? It just like kept coming back to this, like, why don't you give up poker? And at some point in there, I was like, all right, God, is that you? Like, I'd never really known God to do anything like that. I didn't really understand what was happening. All I knew was that by the time that shower was over, I was like, all right, I guess I'm giving up poker for Lent. I don't know if I just made an agreement with like some weird other half of my brain or if somehow something else was happening, but I was like, all right, I just need to get some peace. No poker for Lent. And Lent is supposed to be this season of anticipation, preparation, looking forward to the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. Uh, for me, it was a season of preparation, looking forward to resuming my online poker addiction. So I was just like, God, I don't know if that was you, but if it was, let's be clear, I agreed to Lent only. Like this is a one-time thing <laughs> back to playing poker. <laughs> and, but anybody who's listening who was playing online poker back then knows where the story is going because right before Lent ended, like a few days before Easter, the FBI raided the offices of the three largest online poker houses, including the two where I had all my money, all my accounts, and everything was shut down. Oh. Just lost forever. It's like all my progress, all my nice graphs, all my money, everything was gone. And I was just absolutely sick to my stomach. Like at first I was just like, this is terrible, terrible luck. Like the worst coincidence ever and just nauseated. But then I realized it was also the start of some new data for me, some new data that I'd never expected 
that challenged my assumption of God is like maybe theoretically real, but not personally real. Yeah, that kind of that kind of started blowing things up for me. And even though it was a hard season, yeah, it came to show me that that God is actually real. And that led to realizing, man, I'm not really good at like being totally okay with that and trusting that, but I'm going to try to do it. And that led eventually to leaving that that sporting goods job that I really liked, getting out of the corporate world entirely. And in 2016, I started Root and Branch. So with Root and Branch, the idea is the branches are things that we do, right? Whether you're a person or a business, like it's how you go to market, it's the decisions you make, it's, it's what you do, but your roots are who you are, like what you believe in, your, your why essentially. And data, understanding data can really help you understand those roots. So I had a cool, I thought, concept for the business name, but unfortunately I didn't know how to do anything <laughs> in digital marketing. So I found that no one wanted to hire me. So I started doing all the online trainings like Google Ads. At that point, it was called AdWords, Google Analytics, just teaching myself how to do this stuff. And as I learned, I was eventually able to acquire clients, eventually able to start this business that was growing, hired some staff, had uh, some part-time contractors, ended up doing some teaching with the University of Pittsburgh, which was awesome. I found I really loved teaching. And I was, yeah, building this business that kind of... That was the trend. That was the way that things were going right up until COVID. And then as it did for tons and tons of people, COVID changed my life because my daughter who had been in daycare, daycare was closed. So I was home with her. And then this root and branch became like a shrinking business. And now it's kind of evolved into a one man consulting, training and making instructional content on the YouTube channel and on the root and branch blog. And that's, that's kind of what I'm doing now. And I just, I love it. I still love data. I am someone who believes that when you actually have good data, it can help you understand why things happen, which can help you make smarter decisions. And that can help you make more money for your business. And I've also realized that for me, my kind of fictional view of myself as someone totally perfectly in control of my life all on my own. That's not really the path that I'm on now. And it's, it's been totally different, but it's been, it's been really exciting. Very cool. Yeah. So th that's why I'm doing Google analytics with my analytical mind and not playing online poker, but it's been really fun. It's, it's really intriguing how many people in the online poker world have gone on to do new and exciting things, especially on my other show, the web three business podcast. A lot of people fascinatingly from that world also have gotten into web three. I love how analytical you are and I love how this story has progressed and for those that are listening right now, as of the broadcast of this episode, Google Analytics, as we used to know it, which is known as Universal Analytics, has been shut down. The data is still there, but not for much longer. GA4 is here. And there are some people that don't really understand why this happened. Mm. So maybe you could kind of explain from your perspective why Google kind of had to shift to GA4 and really kind of like what makes it different, if you will. Yeah. So Google definitely didn't tell me this. So I'll just disclaim that. But they basically laid all their cards on the table if you read their announcement. So if you just Google like GA4 announcement, blog announcement, you'll see in this write up that Google published and it was March 16th, a couple of years ago, the word privacy shows up seven times, right? So Google's like, you know, we're kind of sick of all these lawsuits related to GDPR and CCPA. We're just going to be more privacy compliant. 
And that's really what's driving all of this. Universal analytics is a great tool. It was an awesome tool, but it collected a lot of information. It would, by default, not anonymize IP addresses. That got Google in some hot water with GDPR. GA4 will anonymize IP addresses. And GA4 is also built, Google says, so that in the future, as cookies are phased out of digital marketing, GA4 will still be able to work because it's going to have all of this big data. It's going to use AI and modeling to kind of put a story of analytics together, even when the cookie data isn't totally consistent. And that, that's really the story of how of why GA4 is here. It's going to allow Google to still have this dominant position in digital analytics and protect itself from privacy-related lawsuits. Yeah, and we should state Google Analytics 4 is still free, just like Universal Analytics was free. Yes. The things that I, when I explain to other people why this happened, is this is also part of a bigger trend where other brands like Apple and browsers like Firefox, Safari, have started blocking cookies and the collection of information, right? So it required Google essentially to kind of lead the world because the whole world uses pretty much Google Analytics. I mean, it's true. So it's not a small undertaking. It's literally like a complete overhaul from the ground up, right? Yeah. It's like, I think about 85% market share in terms of digital analytics yeah. software. Yeah. People are, even though it's different, people are going to keep using Google Analytics. Yeah, and we've all been putting off, <laughs> well, let me rephrase, not all of us, but a lot of us have been putting off learning Google Analytics 4. So the starting place, you know, like where do we need to start, you know, when it comes to getting started with Google Analytics 4, assuming we've activated Google Analytics 4 and done all those basic things on our website, like what do we need to be processing first in our mind when it comes to looking at this data? So I'd say the first thing to do that most businesses don't do at least from my experience, is think about how your website makes money. Because there's a lot of businesses out there that have universal analytics set up. They probably have GA4 set up now, but they don't actually really do anything with the data other than they look at it maybe once a month and they say, hmm, I wonder what that's telling me. I don't know. I'll come back to it later. And thinking about how your website makes you money allows Google Analytics to actually be an engine for making smarter decisions that can make your website more money. So I'm talking here about conversions. Uh, if you're an e-commerce business, pretty simple, right? Like you sell things, you want to track those purchase conversions. If you're a lead generation site, right? It's you want to get people to submit forms. So these are called your macro conversions, like the big things that make your business money through your website. But there are also these smaller conversions that lead up to that big conversion. So those are called micro conversions. For a, an e-commerce site, it might be like a view, view products page or add to cart. For a lead gen site, it might be a visit to a key page or a download of a white paper or a, a view of a video. Just spend some time thinking about what that user journey looks like. And then before you start setting up tracking for everything, like there's lots of different events you can set up in Google Analytics for, but they're not all relevant for your business. So think about what that user journey is for your micro and macro conversions. Doesn't need to be too complicated. Maybe start with like one big one one big macro conversion and one or two micro conversions and set up tracking for that. So then when you learn GA4, you're doing it with a targeted approach. You're saying, I know how my website makes money and I'm going to use Google Analytics to help me understand that so I can help my website make more money for my business. Yeah, I think it's counterintuitive for people because the first thing that most people want to do is learn the technical side. Right. And that can, I think, be a recipe for just getting lost in the weeds if you haven't done that first part first. Once you've done that first part, 
then you're free to go in and make sure your implementation is technically strong. Some of those things that you might want to track, Google Analytics 4 actually makes really easy. It's one of the big benefits of GA4 is that some things like file downloads or video plays, external link clicks, things that in the days of universal analytics, you needed Google Tag Manager to help set. Now you can track some of those things with a single click in GA4. And that is nice. So don't start thinking about, I need to set up all my custom button click tracking if you don't actually need it for your business and your website. Okay, so a couple quick things, just in summary, you've got these macro conversions, which could be a lead or a sale, right? Yeah. And then you've got micro conversions, which might be a visit to a page or the completion of a form. Is that, am I getting that right? Is that examples of these kinds of conversions? Yeah, the micro conversion is like the thing that takes place before the, the macro conversion. Right. So what about reports? Because I know that in our notes here, it says something about traffic acquisition pages and screens. Maybe you could remind me what it is we were talking about when we were prepping on that. So GA4 is a little bit different from universal analytics in terms of how the reports look. Um, it looks pretty bare, honestly, on first glance compared to UA. I think there's about um, universal analytics had something like 30 or 40 built-in reports that you could see down the left-hand side of the of the navigation when you logged in. GA4 has much fewer, but you can do a lot of customization. But before you worry about customizing, there are two reports that I think everybody should look at. One is called the traffic acquisition report. So to get to, to that, you just go into reports in GA4, and then there's this acquisition reporting area, and within that, your traffic acquisition. So that is going to show you how organic search stacks up to your organic social versus your paid search versus your referral traffic versus email. And you can slice and dice that traffic differently. Like if you wanted to look at Google organic search, you could do that as well. And that's going to show you not only how much traffic do you get, but also your traffic quality. GA4 has a new measure called engaged sessions. This did not exist in universal analytics. So an engaged session is going to be something that it's basically your high quality traffic. It's 10 seconds or more in duration, or it involves multiple page views, or it involves a conversion. So you'll be able to see when you look at that, like, wow, organic traffic, I have an 80% engagement rate, but my email marketing has a 50% conversion rate. Like, what's wrong with something here? What can I fix on the email side? And then how can I leverage organic to get more of that? And then that same report, you'll also be able to see where your conversions come from at the channel level. It's going to help you to make smarter decisions about where you prioritize. I love this real quick because like in the universal analytics, it wasn't, this didn't exist, right? You had to kind of look at time on session duration is what you had to look at and you had to discern, okay, like my session duration on this Facebook ad is like less than one second. Obviously they're immediately abandoning the page. So now what they're doing is they're essentially come up with a new KPI or metric or whatever that they're tracking, which just says, is it engaged or not engaged? And then that helps you understand, for example, with your paid traffic, if your engagement is really, really low, you know, there's something probably wrong with your ads, right? Absolutely. Something wrong with your ads, something wrong with your landing page. It's going to help you. Your targeting. Exactly. It helps you prioritize very quickly. And I think that's actually one of the big benefits of GA4. And this is coming from a guy who was pretty down on GA4 for a long time. But the more I've used the tool, the more I've come to see, hey, you know what? Like, it's not all bad. There's actually some stuff here that's a big upgrade that I like. And that's one of those things. What about the other report? You said there was two that we need to pay attention to, right? Yeah. The other one, just if you're getting started out of the box, haven't done any custom reporting, right below the acquisition reporting area, 
in GA4 is the engagement reporting area. So you can see some stuff here like there's an events report. So all of those events that you're tracking will just be listed there. But the one that I would look at first is called pages and screens. It, that's going to give you all of your, your top content, all of the pages on your site. And some of those same metrics that you're looking at in the traffic acquisition report, you can see here, but at the page individual content level instead of traffic channel. So here you can see, hey, what's my engagement rate by page? And how do those pages contribute to my conversions? And then you're going to be able to see, hmm, these are the pages that I should really focus on more if I want to either use them in other places. Like maybe there's some great pages you can use in social or email. And maybe there's some pages that should be really great, but have a horrible engagement rate. Those are going to be the ones that you can look at to prioritize, to fix, and try to take some of the pages that are your good examples and get those things that are working well and bring them into your poor performers and make your site overall more powerful, drive more conversions. So this pages and screens is under engagement? Yes. Is that right? So it's hidden under the engagement reporting. So you got traffic acquisition and engagement reporting. And underneath there, you want to look at pages and screens. Why are they calling screens something different? What's the concept behind why, why the heck are they? Yeah, so weird, right? <laughs> Isn't it still a page? You know, it's still a page, right? What, is, <laughs> what does screens mean? Yeah. So when GA4 was first released, and I'll get there, just hang with me for a second. It was called the app and web property. So it was uh, first released in beta. It was called app and web. And the big marketing shtick was Google Analytics 4 can track your website traffic and your mobile app traffic together in one unified picture, which it, it can do. It just, you know, most people, that's not super relevant for them because most people don't have a website and an app. But it's one of the weird quirks because a, a screen view is the same name as a page view, but in an app. So I see. Okay. Anybody using it for a website, it's just going to be top pages and ignore that screens. Okay. So let's assume there's a fair amount of our audience that's familiar with universal analytics. How do we need to reframe our thinking when it comes to Google Analytics 4? Because so far, I think everybody was probably tracking with everything we talked about because it seems within the framework of what we were familiar with, with the old Google Analytics. But there are some things that are clearly different here. So how ought we rethink what this means for, for us for GA4? Let's do the two biggest ones, the two that I think really throw people for a loop. One is the data model in GA4 is very different from universal analytics. So in universal analytics, there's all these different, they're called hits, right? So like when things happen on your website, universal is, is collecting that data, packaging it up, sending it to universal, sending it to Google Analytics, the servers, and then that's what you can see in your reports. So some of those events were like timing events. Some of them were up, they were called events. Some of them were page views, all tracked differently. And that enabled universal analytics to give you metrics like bounce rate, for example. In universal analytics, everything is tracked as an event. So that is a total reframe of thinking because in universal analytics, you need a Google Tag Manager to create an event. In GA4, everything is tracked as an event, the stuff that's tracked by default and the stuff you need to set up. So that is really different. And it means that some metrics are a little bit different as well. That's why we have engagement rate, for example, and not bounce rate. So what does event mean for people that don't understand what events are? An event is just something that happened. It's a, it's a synonym for an interaction. I see. So a, a click is an event. A page view is an event in GA4. In U, UA, a page view is not an event. It was just tracked as something differently. So now everything is an event, which is weird when you look at your event reporting and you're like, hmm, why is page view showing up here? Well, because that's now an event. So just thinking about that a little bit differently reframes things. The second thing that I, I would say it's really different is 
there are no more views. There are still page views, but the account structure is different. So some people who used UA were used to going in and creating your master view, your test view, and your other view to like kind of see your data and just know going in that you're not going to have that anymore. You're going to have all of your data viewable in one single property. And you can create filtered and custom reports from there if you want, but you're not going to have that same account structure that used to exist in UA. The, the last thing that I'll say, I know I said two, but I'm, I'm going for three, is this idea of event parameters. Now this sounds like super techie and like we're gonna get lost in the weeds, but hang with me for a second. If an event is an interaction that takes place on your website, an event parameter is some additional data that adds context to that event. So let's say you're tracking link clicks, right? Like in Google Analytics 4, it can track external link clicks for you with a single click. That's awesome. But at default, if you only look at the event, it's just going to show you how often that happened, which is helpful, kind of, but not really helpful. You want to know where was somebody when they clicked the link and what specific link did they click to, right? And those things are event parameters. So when you're looking at reports and building reports, you need to know, hey, I don't just need to look at the event name, but I need to look at these event parameters to actually explain the stuff that's really happening with my data. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. Okay, cool. So I want to dig in on the event side of things because what I'm hearing you say is everything is now an event, right? The upside to that is it sounds like you can track a heck of a lot of things. Yeah. So let's let's talk about what we can track as an event in GA4 and just start wherever you want to start on that. Great. So if anybody out there has like done some some research on GA4 events, you've probably seen this like the fact that there are these four event types that Google Analytics is talking about. And we'll talk about those four, but basically we're going to break them into two buckets. The first bucket is things that Google will track by default and we don't need to worry about. And the second bucket is things that we actually need to create on our own. So bucket one, Google has things that are called automatically collected events. So every single time a, a session starts, Google is going to track that. If it's the first visit from a user on your website, Google Analytics is going to track that. And if that person is doing that site engagement stuff that we had talked about, Google is going to track that. Those three things are called automatically collected events. You can't turn them off even if you want to. Real quick, just clarification. I think we know what sessions are and I think we know what site engagement is, but this first visit thing, explain what that is just so people can wrap their head around that. Yeah, that's just like if it's a new user. Google's like, hey, I haven't seen you before. Like I have, I don't ah, recognize your cookie. Okay. You're new. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is new since they started tracking it, but it's not pulling in the old universal analytic data. So hypothetically, if you only set up Google Analytics for a year ago, let's say if you were lucky enough to do that, then it's going to go back a year. Or is it just in the period of time that it's tracking? Like, what's your thoughts on that? You're asking me a very good question. And if you don't have the answer, you don't have to, you can just say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I'm just going to say, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay, cool. So we're talking about default tracking 
And right out of the gate, we can do a session, the beginning of a session, whether this is the first time they've visited the site for whatever range of time it happens to be. We don't have the answer to that. And then if they're an engaged user. So that's the default stuff. The custom stuff, or I don't know what we want to call it, but the stuff that's not default, let's just call it custom for now. What kind of stuff can we track that maybe we have to set up ourselves? Yeah, so actually there's there's one other piece of the stuff that Google's going to do the hard work for us. And this is called the enhanced measurement events. This is where we're talking about the stuff that in the days of universal analytics, you needed Google Tag Manager to track. So Google Analytics 4 now will track scroll activity for you so that at 90% scroll depth, it's just going to show up an event that's called scroll. It's going to track external link clicks. So somebody clicks on a link that goes off your domain, it's going to track that for you by default. Same thing for file downloads, video plays. It's actually really, really powerful. And it's just all turned on by default. Now you can turn these things off with a single click if you want in GA4. You click into your your data stream settings and your admin profile, and it's just a, you'll see a single toggle to turn on or off. But those I count together basically because GA4 does all the hard work for you. I love this scroll activity. You said 90%. I mean, does it only trigger if you get to 90% or does it, yeah. it, it only does? Oh man, that's a bummer. Well, okay. So you have to have serious scroll depth for that to trigger. External link clicks is a big deal. Cause I remember we had to code that in tag manager. That's really cool. That way, you know how many people presumably are clicking on a link to another website, which could be really valuable. And then file and video plays. Is it only YouTube or is it any, is it smart enough to know Vimeo embeds and all that kind of stuff? It's only YouTube. Okay. So yeah, for Vimeo, then you're still going to need like that, that second area where you're doing like some custom setup work. And honestly, the same thing for the scroll depth. So I have scroll depth tracking set up on root and branch group.com. That's going to fire at 25%, 50, 75 and 90. And for that, you would need to do custom work. I would say there's a good tutorial on the root and branch YouTube channel if you want to do that, but it, it does illustrate some of the potential downsides with those enhanced measurement events. So this enhanced measurement thing is just something we toggle on. Is there any reason we wouldn't toggle it on? We've got nothing to lose by toggling it on, do we or do we? Yeah, there's there's really nothing to lose except in those examples like scroll depth. If you're like, look, knowing only 90% is not going to be helpful for me, then you would want to make sure you turn off your enhanced measurement scroll depth tracking and create your custom one. So as long as you're not kind of double counting stuff there. So if you click this thing on and there's a bunch of pre-check things and then you can unclick them or something like that. And they'll probably be That's exactly it. They'll probably be more, I would imagine, as GA4 evolves, right? That are standard. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Hopefully. But that would be really cool. Yeah, that hopefully. would be really cool. Okay. So uh, once we get to custom tracking, what what kind of events can we track from a custom perspective? And how do we go about doing that? Can we do that in GA4? So let's take those two questions separate. Um, first yeah, what are they? And then two, like, how do we set it up? So what they are, the ones that you do yourself, Google has two names for these types of events. The first one is called recommended events. And Google's for these is saying, look, if you want to set up tracking for, you know, e-commerce, for example, we've made a list of what we think your event name should be for those things. And we've given you some guidance on what we think you should call your event parameters. So Google is recommending that this is how you do it. Google is not actually going to do the work for you, though. It's not going to tell you how to build the, you know, set up the, the code in your website or how to build the, the event tag in Google Tag Manager. The recommendation is just the name. <laughs> and then those recommended events are very similar to what are called custom events, where Google's like, look, we don't really have a specific 
set of like guidance on these for what you name them, but you can just go and create whatever you want. And GA4 is very flexible, so you can create those custom events and name them however you want. For example, on the root and branch site, I've got some like an event set up for anybody who clicks to go to YouTube, it's gonna fire this event that says YouTube, any click, right? That's an event, I set it up. Google didn't tell me to name it that, but that's what I did. And when it comes to creating these events, you got a couple of options. Most of them will require Google Tag Manager, but there's also a built-in custom event creation tool within the GA4 interface. You can basically modify existing enhanced measurement events and if you're able to do that in a way that it works for the event you want to track, you can probably use the built-in event creation tool that you, you won't need Tag Manager for. But if it's something a little bit different, more custom, which I would say is, is probably going to be a lot of these things, then you're going to need to use Tag Manager. Okay, so this is where there's a million questions that go through my mind and maybe the audience that's listening as well. Like, what about e-commerce? conversion tracking, that's an event. And I might be getting ahead of myself, but do a lot of these third-party tools kind of automate this for you so that if you use, let's say WooCommerce or Shopify, you just put it in there and it kind of automatically does everything behind the scenes, or do you have to actually do some of your own coding? It's a little bit of a mixed bag there. So all of those CMS, those platforms had really great integrations in the days of UA. And I would say now they're rolling out the GA4 kind of one-click integrations but it's a little bit of a, of a mixed bag. I've heard that the Shopify one, I think that's been out for a, a month and a half or two months now, is kind of okay, but still maybe a little bit buggy. So I would say that is something that I would expect to get better in time. And WooCommerce, you mentioned WooCommerce, there's a great way to, to set that up. That's actually one of the best performing tutorials on, on the YouTube channel right now. That's gonna show you how to use a plugin to, to set that up. And that'll take you through the whole process of loading in those recommended events and basically being being totally good to go. But yeah, e-commerce is the one that's a little bit tricky because it's so CMS dependent. And if you're using a, a WordPress site, what your plugin is. Okay, so the kinds of things we can do with custom tracking just so people can wrap their head around it or what? Like, I mean, help people understand what are what's the possibilities here? Yeah, so let's let's go back to what we were talking about in the beginning about these micro and macro conversions, like on their own, it's cool to be like, all right, how many of these did I get? How many of those did I get? But GA4 has a really cool funnel tool. So you can build a report where you're saying like, I'm gonna tell you Google Analytics, what events I want you to link up together. And those events will be my micro conversion, like part one of the process. Maybe there's another micro conversion, maybe not, but then what's my macro conversion? And it will build kind of like an e-commerce purchase funnel for those who are familiar with that from the days of universal analytics, it will build you that in GA4, a really cool visualization. And that's gonna allow you to see, huh, this is how my funnel works. And then you can add segments and say, what's my funnel look like for organic search traffic? What's my funnel look like for people who have been on my site before versus people who are there for the first time? And from there, you can figure out what's really driving the results and double down on that and fix the stuff that's, that's not working so great. That I would say is like, that's my, my number one nominee for what's, what's really actually practically functional. Because GA4 is using artificial intelligence and modeling predictive and all that kind of stuff, 
how accurate, I guess, is the data? I mean, because that's really what a lot of people are probably wondering. Because so many of us that are data nerds have started to notice this decline in our Google Analytics data, especially like I use Cloudflare, right? Which doesn't block the data because it captures the data before it actually goes to the website. And my metrics in Cloudflare are dramatically higher than my metrics in Google Analytics. And it's because it's capturing it before it actually sends the traffic off to the Google, right? Uh, to, to the website. And I'm just curious, like, should we take this as just a sliver of the truth or is this the gospel? Do you understand what I'm asking here? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. There are no digital analytics platforms that I've seen at least that are 100% perfect. I was talking with a client about this today. Like, why doesn't my conversion count for my CRM match up perfectly with my conversion data in Google Analytics? Reality is, it's probably never going to match one-to-one, but if you can get it to say it's 5% off, you can kind of live with that. So yeah, that's that's what I'd say first. The second thing I would say is what I've seen at least in GA4 compared to universal analytics, my traffic count, my overall metrics are pretty close, like within one to 2%. And if you're seeing a really huge difference, you might want to take a look at where your GA4 tracking code is deployed on the site. Because if it's not really, really, really high up in the header of the site code, you could have someone who's coming to the site and bouncing and they leave and then Google Analytics, the script doesn't fire. They don't even get tracked and that leads to much lower numbers. But maybe Cloudflare is able to track that. Yeah, because I think where, I, where I'm going with this is Google can't track everything because obviously stuff's getting blocked, right? We talked about all that at the beginning. So my suggestion to everybody is to take this as a kind of like a, a data set from the larger data set, right? Like we don't know the full data set. It's impossible for Google to track the entire data set. So I think this is just like a, a subset of the data, kind of like if you do a survey of enough people, you can kind of hypothesize what the entire population believes. I kind of think that's how we ought to look at it. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point, Mike. I, I would say makes me think of my aspirations for myself in life, which is I want to give directionally non-stupid recommendations. And I think Google Analytics is really helpful for allowing us to give directionally non-stupid ones, but it's not going to be, this is 100%. I'm going to guarantee that every piece of data is correct here. Yeah, good point. So let's dig in a little bit if we haven't already answered this question about conversion tracking. What do we need to know? We've talked a little bit about like the data set isn't likely complete inside of a GA4. That's why they have modeling and AI to kind of predict stuff. But what do we need to know about like actually doing conversion tracking? Yeah. So conversion tracking and universal analytics, you had different types of goals you could create. You could create, you know, a pages per session goal or average session duration goal or an event goal. There's destination goal, these different kind of templates for goal types. Because GA4 is all event-based, it's every goal is an event. So Basically, the process for creating conversion is twofold. First, you create the event. And then it's like turning on an enhanced measurement event or turning it off. You just basically hit a checkbox within your admin panel in GA4 to say to Google Analytics, which ones do I want to count as conversions? So all the work is done on the event setup part. Turning it on to a conversion is just a little check. So give us an example of how that might work so that people can kind of in their brain imagine this in a, in a hypothetical or a real example with you or a client? Yeah. So I was working on something today, actually. So it's a, a client with a pretty simple 
funnel. They, they send people to a, to a contact page and then they want them to sign up for a free trial. And if they sign up for the free trial, then they go to a confirmation page that basically says, hey, you did it. You got the 14-day the free trial. So two of the custom events that we've set up, uh, first, the visit to the, that first page, right, where you get to look at the landing page, you get to decide, am I going to fill out this form or not? We have an event that tracks that. Then we have another event that tracks, did, did somebody fill out the form, right? Did they make it? Did they hit the submit button? Did they make it to the confirmation page? Those are two custom events that for us are the micro conversion and the macro conversion. And when I look in GA4, I see a list of all the events. Let's say there's 12 of them. And I can just pick those two and say, track that one as a conversion, Google, and track that one as a conversion with a single click. Ah, uh, does it remember? Yeah. And then how does this show up in reports and stuff? Can you, you talk to me about that? Well, there's two places that it shows up in your standard reports. One is, is there is a conversions report. So when you go into your engagement reporting area, you'll see one that's actually located right above that pages and screens report we had talked about. That's just called conversions. So whatever you've toggled on to be tracked as a conversion, that's going to flow into and show up in that report. And the other place those conversions will show up in your standard reports is like in your traffic acquisition report that we had talked about. If you look all the way over to the right, there's a column that's going to show how many conversions you're generating and show you what your conversion rate is for those different traffic channels. And that also is populated by what you've decided to toggle on as an event and turn it into a conversion. One of the things that I really liked about Universal Analytics was the ability to compare different time periods. Can you do that in Google Analytics 4? Yes, you can, which is very, which is very good. I mean, it looks a little bit different for sure, but in the top right of the screen, there's that date range selector. So the same way as UA, you can pick your date range. You can add a comparison to the prior year, to the prior period. Yes, it's going to visualize it nicely. We're good there. In addition, I know that in some of the reports in Universal Analytics, you could add in different segments to compare them like mobile versus desktop. And, and then you could you know look at it that way. And you could also do all sorts of different variables. Does it allow you to do that as well? Definitely. And... I don't want to get too far down like a rabbit hole here, but this is where I'll put a plug in for these things that are called explorations in GA4. And if you're building an exploration, this is kind of what well, Google calls it an advanced reporting feature. And you'll see it in the left-hand nav in GA4 right below reports. There's this button that's called explore. So when you go into explore, you can build your own custom reports. You can pick your own dimensions and metrics and build your own, like what you're talking about, segments, like show me just users who came from this channel or show me how this breaks down between mobile versus desktop versus tablet. All of that stuff is there. It takes a little more work to use because you kind of have to do the work and pick what you want. But once you get the hang of it, it's, it's really powerful. Can you save like custom reports like you could do yes. in universal analytics? You can. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. Yeah. It'll actually, there'll be a list of them when you go to that explore feature, all of the reports that you've, you've built you can just you know give them a little name so it'll show up there you'll recognize what the report is it'll just be there so once you build them once it'll be there for you and it, it for anybody who's used data studio which is now called looker it's a very similar kind of feel do you know if you can share those with other people on your team or because like you know with universal you only saw them you you couldn't like let everybody else see these reports is there an easy way to do that or is that not easy to do inside of ga4 it is easy yeah so Within each of those reports that you've built, if you look all the way out to the right side of the screen, there's a little three-dot icon. And if you hit that, one option says share. And then you can share that 
with anybody else who has access to that GA4 property. One of the weird kind of quirks though that I'll say is it's shared only in read-only mode, which is weird. So anybody you share it with, if they want to say, you know, change the date range, they'll just need to go in and hit that same three dot icon and duplicate the report that you just shared with them. And then they give it a new name and then they can edit it. One of the weird, weird GA4 quirks. Considering how much time you spent in Universal Analytics versus GA4, are you getting to the point where you're like kind of liking GA4? Do you feel like it's as good as Universal Analytics was and potentially could be better? Like what's your honest assessment of it? Oh man. So I had I'd said this before. I had such a bad attitude about it at first because it it's just not intuitive if you loved Universal Analytics, at least if you're someone like me who kind of like learns things maybe kind of slowly, but once you learn them, it's like, man, I got that now. So I've resented GA4 for a while, but I do have to tell you now I, I like it. Like I really like explorations. I really like these enhanced measurement events that you can basically set up your full funnel conversion tracking potentially just with like some single clicks that I really, really like that. That's a, that's a big upgrade, but it is, it's just, it's just different. Zach, you have really helped a lot of people like alleviate fear <laughs> of GA4. And I know some of them are going to want to go check out your YouTube channel and discover more about you. So why don't you tell everybody what your YouTube channel is? And then if you have any other places you want to send them or if they want to connect with you on the socials, like what's your preferred? Awesome. So yeah, the best place would be YouTube. That's youtube.com at rooted digital. Is it rooted digital or rooted dash digital? Ah, rooted dash digital. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Okay. But if you just search in, in Google for, you know, root and branch or root and branch digital marketing, that's probably even easier. And I would say I try to respond to every question and comment that's on one of those videos because I have a lot of empathy for people that are like, what is happening? Because that was me. So if you're there, you're looking at something, you're like this event parameter video, it almost makes sense, but not quite. Shoot me a question and I'll respond. So that's one place. Another is rootandbranchgroup.com. And LinkedIn is the only social media platform that I use. So if you want to get in touch, I'd love to love to hear from you there. Cool. Zach Duncan, thank you so much for answering all of my questions. Yeah, this is good. Succinctly. I really appreciate your time today. Mike, it is so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. If you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 571. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow this show. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about us? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.